Welcome back to Remnant of Israel Messianic Synagogue in Wichita, Kansas. It's a real pleasure to be with you again today, uh, although it is still only online. Uh, as Philip said before, um, before we went to the seven-minute schmooze, uh, we are actively planning for reopening the congregation. This should happen fairly soon at this point. So uh, stay tuned for more announcements on that. We're really looking forward to it. Okay, well, the last two weeks we have been studying uh, a series of messages, uh, studying the subject of how we actually make disciples. Uh, not too long ago, there were a couple of people from this congregation who came up to me and said, you often speak about the subject of making disciples, but you've never taught us how to make disciples. So that's what this is all about. It's all about teaching how we actually make disciples. I have quite a bit of experience in this. I've been a missionary in various parts around the world, and um, certainly in that role, I, um, my job was to make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? Disciple is a little bit different than just someone who believes. A disciple is someone who has taken what they believe to another level. Uh, so, for instance, if we're speaking about someone who says they believe that Yeshua is their Lord and Savior, fine and good. This is good. But what does that really mean to you? Because it seems to me if you really believe that statement, that Yeshua is your Lord and Savior, then it means you're going to do everything that it is that you can in order to obey Him. Um, without obedience, it really doesn't tell me anything when a person says they believe in Yeshua. Okay, fine, I'll accept that. But what does that mean to you? If it really means something to you, your life is going to change, you see. A disciple is someone whose life has been changed by the Master. A disciple of Yeshua is one who knows Him, one who Yeshua lives inside of, one who Yeshua is their every thought. They wish to please Yeshua. That's a person who is a disciple of Yeshua. And Yeshua says we need to be disciples, not just believers, disciples. And further, he commands us to make disciples. So if we're going to say that we're his disciple, then we are going to obey him in making other disciples. So in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, we read this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In short, unless we are actively propagating the Besorah, the good news of Yeshua by making disciples, we're not really walking in obedience to Yeshua, are we? No, we're not. I mean, let's face it. This is a direct commandment that he gave us. 
to go out to all the world and to make disciples. A direct command. We're either going to do it or we're not going to do it. And if we don't do it, we're not being obedient to our Lord. So last week, we spoke about the uh, critical importance of relationship in making disciples. In short, if you're not relational with others, if you don't build relationships with others, you're not going to make disciples. And relationship is something special. Relationship is not something that's just casual. It's not something that we turn off or on as it's convenient for us. If we're really in relationship with a person, then we will show it by our behavior, by our actions, by how we live our lives. If we're really in relationship with a person, we're going to eat with them. We're going to fight with them. We're going to struggle with them. We're going to laugh with them. We're going to celebrate with them. We're going to weep with them. We're going to suffer with them. If we're really in relationship with them, that's what relationship is. I pointed out that uh, although social media may have its certain uses, that we do not create relationships over social media. Uh Uh-uh. Those are fake relationships. They're only so deep. They can't be any deeper because we're not together. We're not living life together. We're not struggling through life together on social media. I also pointed out that in relationships, just because of the nature of human beings, that sometimes we're going to get into arguments with one another. We're going to have disagreements. And I pointed out that those disagreements are not well handled over social media. Because, you see, we haven't developed the relationship that's necessary to be able to share into another person's life what we think they need to hear. That is a privilege that we must earn But we only earn that privilege by really walking in relationship with another person. Without relationship, you cannot share into another person's life very well. And they may just cut you off and say, no, I'm not going to hear it from you. Well, as far as I'm concerned, they have a reason to do that. Because until we have earned the privilege of sharing such information into another person's life. We really have no business trying to do it. We just come off as cold and sanctimonious, and that's something none of us wishes to be. No, there has to be relationship. It's critical. So today we're going to talk about another lesson, though, and that's the importance of the Ruach HaKodesh, in making disciples. I will tell you, without being immersed in the Ruach, we're not going to have the power to serve God effectively. And we certainly won't have the power to make disciples. We have to have the Ruach in our lives. But more than just saying that He's in our lives... So one of the things I'm going to cover today is a subject 
that is um, too often not covered at all in many churches. And that subject is of immersions, baptisms. Not one, but plural. Immersions. There's more than one immersion. Now we do know of the one immersion that is spoken of in Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6, where we read, there is one body and one ruach, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one immersion, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But then we are also aware that there are immersions for various purposes, as the writer to the Hebrews mentions. In Hebrews 6, 1 through 3, we read, Therefore, leaving the basic teaching of the Messiah, let us move on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of trust in God, of teaching about immersions, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now this we will do if God permits. So I want you to hear that, what the writer to the Hebrews is saying there, that there are certain things that are so basic, you might call them the milk of the word, as Peter would call it. Things that are so basic that Yeah, they're good to know about. We must know about them because they're the foundation of what we believe. But at some point, we need to move on from those basics. And one of the basics that he speaks of here is immersions, baptisms, immersions, plural. Now, we all know about the the one immersion that is necessary for salvation. It's an immersion in the name of Yeshua, and we'll speak about that a little bit more later. But you see, the writer of the Hebrews here is telling us that there are immersions that we need to go through, and that's important. Um, The eminent Messianic rabbi David Stern says in part of this passage, the Greek baptismon, Baptismon is the normal New Testament word not for the immersion which accompanies coming to faith. Acts 2.37, Acts 8.38, Acts 16.32. But for washings of purifications or of preparation of which the initial immersion is just one. The Messianic Jewish readers would have been familiar with this subject since the Tanakh speaks of such purifications. We find this in the Jewish New Testament commentary, pages 676 through 677. However, the Ruach HaKodesh only worked in power through the few in the pages of Torah and Tanakh identity. Think about it. Very few. Who can forget Moses' words in Numbers 11.29 when he has called together the 70 elders and God was going to take from the spirit that was upon Moses and he was going to put 
a portion of that spirit on all of the elders. And there were two of the elders that were still in the camp. They hadn't made it to be there with Moses before the tent of meeting. And as the others, though, as the other 68 who were at the tent of meeting, the two in the camp, when the Spirit was put on them by God, began to prophesy. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, the two that were in the camp, Moses' aide, Joshua, he looked at this as being somehow not right, that there was something being transgressed here. And so he goes to Moses and he says, Moses, shall I tell them to stop? And what was Moses' words to him? Uh, This is absolutely precious. And it's so important for us to understand because this wasn't just Moses speaking. It wasn't just him saying what he wished for, what he would like to see happen, though he did certainly say that. I really look at these words of Moses being prophetic of another time. He said, Joshua, are you jealous on my accord? Don't be. I would that all of God's people would prophesy, he said. Wow. I would that all of God's people would prophesy. I want you to read that the next time you read it as a prophecy, as Moses doing something far more than just saying what he'd like to see or just expressing a sentiment Moses was not being sentimental there is what I'm telling you. He was telling us something cold and hard and um, necessary. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and he wants all of God's people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So then we read from Joel's prophecy of the pouring out of the Ruach. Joel 3, 1 through 2 in the uh, Tree of Life version of the Bible. So it will be afterward. I will pour out my Ruach on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Also on the male and female servants will I pour out my Spirit in those days. I will show wonders. You see... The mark of being filled with the Ruach of God is that stuff happens. Now that may not sound like a very scientific or academic term, stuff. But trust me, when it happens, stuff happens. You're changed. You're different. There's something that changes inside of you. The fears that had gripped you, they fall away from you. A power arises within you that will not allow you to retreat before the enemy any longer. You'll be the first one to charge into the battle against the enemy because you've been filled with the Ruach of God and your every desire is going to be to please Yeshua. There won't be anything that can stop you from that task. Whatever that task is, indeed, being filled with the Ruach, being filled to overflowing with the Ruach, changes an individual. And that's exactly what we all need to be. It's exactly what we're called to be. We do know also that 
those who the Ruach had been poured out on in Old Testament times, that they had great power. So look in 1 Kings 18, 36 through 39. 1 Kings 18, 36 through 39, where we read, Now it was at the time of offering up the evening sacrifice that Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet, came near and said, Adonai, God of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yisrael, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, Adonai, answer me, so that these people may know that you, Adonai, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of Adonai fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood, the stones, and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Adonai, he is God. Adonai, he is God. Let me paint the picture for you a little bit. There had been a time of drought upon the land of Israel. Israel was suffering. There's much evil that they had lived in. Joining themselves to people who were not believers and did not share their faith. Worshipping idols. Worthless idols that can't do anything. Idolatry and therefore turning their back on their one true God. Not being good to the wives of their youth. Not teaching their children as their children were to be taught. Not keeping the Shabbat and letting the land to rest on its Shabbats. In every way, disobedient to God living life their own way. And so, a series of judgments were poured out on them. Here we are in the midst of this judgment. And now there's a massive contest that has been set up. Because Elijah has called the priest of Baal, the priest of this false god, that the nation was worshiping at this time because of the evil queen Jezebel. And so the priests of Baal are called to a contest with Elijah. So here you've got 450 of these priests and you've got Elijah and each of them is going to take a bullock. And they're going to prepare it on the altar, however they would prepare that sacrifice. And then they're going to call to their God. And the God that answers by fire, He is God, Elijah tells the people. Indeed. Absolutely. And so the priests of Baal, they prepare their sacrifice and they start first. 
And they're marching around ecstatically. They're jumping up and down. They're hooping. They're hollering. They're making lots of noise. And they go on like this for a few hours. And nothing happens. Baal is not answering them. And so at that point, around about noon, Elijah begins to make fun of them, to mock them. Well, maybe you should shout louder. After all, Baal is a god, right? Maybe he's deep in thought. He actually says maybe he's relieving himself in the bathroom at one point. Whatever the case, surely your God is going to answer you. So what does this do? This just drives the, the priest of Baal to a greater and greater frenzy. They even come to the point where they start sticking themselves with spears and cutting themselves with swords, thus bloodletting, which was part of their practice to appease their false god. And yet still, the fire doesn't fall from heaven. Baal does not answer. Finally, getting late in the afternoon, the priests of Baal are exhausted. They can't do anything. They've done so much bloodletting. They've done so much activity, just marching around and dancing around and jumping and hollering that they are exhausted. And now it's Eliyahu's turn. And Eliyahu takes his sacrifice. He first takes 12 stones, though, one for each of the tribes of Israel. I want you to think about this because this would have meant something to the people. The people had long been away from God. The people had been living in such abject evil. And now, here their prophet is, Eliyahu, taking these 12 stones, one for each of the tribes. I will tell you that every person that was in that audience that there was somebody from each of the tribes there, and that person would have understood, every one of them would have understood exactly what this meant having these 12 stones that were being put in place. This represented them, the people of Israel. The people of Israel were being called back to God through Elijah. Through Elijah, they were being called back to God. So Elijah puts the stones in place. He arranges the wood. He cuts up the bullock. He puts the pieces up on the altar. And then he has the people bring four great big jars. I mean, would have stood probably about this high, about this wide, full of water. So he has them take four big jars of water. And they're to pour it out on the offering. And they do it. And he says, do it a second time. And so they do it a second time. He says, do it a third time. And they do it a third time. That the water has run over all of the sacrifice, all of the wood, the stones. It has filled up the trench that Eliyahu had placed around his altar. So here you had water in this trench water drenching everything. And now it's at this point that we step into what I just read. And that is Eliyahu's prayer. What was this prayer again? Let's remind ourselves of that. I, I love the wording of this prayer. Adonai, God of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Israel, 
Let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Now, who was he speaking for? Whose benefit was he speaking for? God's? No, of course not. He was speaking for the benefit of the people. You see, if you wish to work someone, you have to speak to them. You don't speak around them. You don't just speak about them. You must speak to them. And this is exactly what Eliyahu was doing in his prayer. He was speaking to the people. He was letting the people have a glimpse of what is happening in the heavenlies right now. That Eliyahu is standing directly before God and directly before God's throne right now. And they can't see it, but he's giving them a glimpse of what's happening. And so Eliyahu is spending a little bit of time with God as this battle with the priest of Baal goes on. And he says, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, Adonai, answer me, he calls. So that these people may know that you, Adonai, are God. Not Baal, not Asherah, but God is God. Not the false gods, but the one God. And that you have turned their heart back again. Make no mistake about it. These people know that their heart had been turned away from God. They knew that God was displeased with them. Now they may not in every way have been conscious of why, but they knew that they had done something wrong and God was displeased with them. And part of it was certainly the idolatry of worshiping false gods that they had been doing. There is only one God. Only one. And that you have turned their heart back again. The people need to know that their God the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he had turned their heart back towards himself. They needed to know this. It was important. It was critical before anything else happens. And then the fire of Adonai fell from heaven. And you've got this sacrifice that was drenched in water. The wood was absolutely soaked with water there was water in the trench and the fire of God falls and he burns up the sacrifice and everything is lit clean and indeed the reaction of the people was Adonai he is God Adonai he is God we just saw it stuff happened a miracle Adonai he is God he's the only God You see, when the Spirit falls, when the Ruach comes upon 
the man or woman of God, when the man or woman of God asks for the Ruach that he can be filled, absolutely filled to overflowing, then it changes something within that man or woman. There's a new boldness, a new seriousness that sets up inside of them. A new desire to be used of God for great things. A new focus, not a focus on one's own life, but a focus on what is it that God is calling me to. Indeed, we change when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But you see, when the Spirit falls, stuff happens. Do you think those people, that well, they would have reacted like that if fire had not fallen from heaven and take up the sacrifice? Of course not. Nothing would have happened. It happened because they saw the power of God at the spoken word of the man of God. You think it would have happened without Eliyahu being there to speak those words? I'll tell you, it wouldn't have. Part of the point was that Eliyahu had been called by God to partner with him to bring their, a, a strong Israel back to God. An Israel that was lost in idolatry and infidelity of all kinds. And God wanted them back. But he was going to call on a person from Israel to partner with him in making it happen. And I'll tell you, he does the same thing today. And that's going to become apparent as we go through this message today. So, we were talking about immersions earlier. And believe me, this is important. Because until we're really immersed in the Holy Spirit of God, until we're really immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh, we're not going to have the power to do what God has called us to do. I will tell you, in my reading of Scripture, I find five immersions mentioned in the Brit Hadashah, the Newer Testament. Number one is the immersion of John. Luke 3, 2 through 4 tells us during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came upon John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, and he came into all the surrounding of the Jordan, proclaiming an immersion of repentance for the removal of sins. <coughs> As it is written in the scroll of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Adonai and make his paths straight. It's an immersion of repentance is what John brought. Calling the people to repentance to prepare them for the advent of Yeshua, for the advent of the Messiah. The one who had been promised to Israel was ready to be revealed. And Yohanan, John the Immerser, went forth 
with an immersion of repentance to call the people back to repentance. As the time had come for the Messiah to make Himself known. The second immersion I find in Scripture is immersion in Yeshua's name. This is the immersion that we think of when we think of people coming to faith in Yeshua and being saved, being born again. In Acts 8, 15 through 16, we read these words. They came down and prayed for them to receive the Ruach HaKodesh, for he had not yet come upon them. They had only been immersed in the name of the Lord Yeshua. They had been saved, but they had not been filled with the Ruach HaKodesh yet. They'd been saved, though. And so there was something more that was to happen with them. Now, we're talking about some of the disciples of Yeshua had gone to Samaria to preach the word. And as people were coming to salvation there, they sent Peter and John to them. And Peter and John went and they taught them. And as the people were being taught, as they were being saved, they were also being prayed for to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And when they did, signs and wonders broke out and began to happen. So immersion in Yeshua's name for salvation. We also read of an immersion in the Word. And I had something of a, an epiphany last night on this. It was quite interesting. I was thinking about this last night, and all of a sudden something occurred to me. I will tell you, I've had this immersion in the Word. During our last time as missionaries, long-term missionaries, we were living in the country of Zimbabwe. And at a certain point, um, our uh, long-term work permits had been denied us, and we were still there, but we noted that we were being watched very carefully and very closely by the Central Intelligence Organization. Zimbabwe is pretty much a police state. And so, anyways, here we are living there, we're being followed, we're being watched very carefully, and... Um, it was hard for us to go anywhere. For us to do the things that we would normally have done, we found it difficult. There were restrictions upon our travel. We had to be very careful that we had somebody to travel with us at all times when we would leave um, the city. And it was difficult. Now, during that time, when we were pretty much shot up in the city, I was feeling like, God, what is it that I'm supposed to do? Because I'm here to preach the word and to make disciples. And yet I'm shot up in this one little house, and I'm not able to be out doing that that I had considered to be the thing I needed to do. You know what I did, though? I had time for the Word all of a sudden. In fact, I had more time than I knew what to do with. 
And I thought, why not spend it really getting to know the Bible? I will tell you that for a period of months, I was spending four, six, eight, even ten hours a day in study of God's Word, in memorization of God's Word, making making Scripture chains that I would be able to follow a subject all the way out through the Scriptures that dealt with that subject. And I had a method for marking it in one place and then marking it in the next and the next and the next and the next so that I could, in, in essence, follow a chain, for instance, the scarlet thread, all the way from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation chapter 22. I was immersed in the Word of God during that time. And it changed my ministry. It revolutionized my ministry. It made it possible for me to do what I'm doing right now. Because I knew the Word. I hadn't known it before. I'd read it. I'd read it quite a bit already. But I hadn't really immersed myself in it. You know, it can be very helpful. If you take a vacation at some point, from whatever else you're doing, say for a week, and during that whole week what you do is you spend that week in the Word of God. Consider it. I do that before just about every major change in my ministry. I will draw away for a period of time And I will take a week just to get with God. I might even fast and pray during that time. But I want to immerse myself in the Word once again. Listen to Ephesians 5, 25 through 28. Now those of you who know the Word well, you're going to know that this is Paul's passage in which he's talking about the relationship between a husband and his wife where he's teaching about the important things, the the things that are absolutely necessary for a family relationship to work well. So he, he speaks to the men about how to be good husbands. He speaks to the women about how to be good wives. He speaks to both of them together about how to be good parents. And he speaks to the children about how they are to live their lives, that they can be a productive part of that family unit. And so in Ephesians 5, 25 through 28, we read these words. Husbands, love your wives just as Messiah also loved his community and gave himself up for her to make her holy, having cleansed her by immersion in the word. Messiah did this so that he might present to himself his glorious community not having stain or wrinkle or any such thing, but in order that she might be holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Wow, a lot to unpack there. You see, it's not just loving your wife. It's loving her so much that you're willing to lay your life down for her if that's necessary. It's loving her so much that you're going to spend the time with her. 
that you absolutely need to. A relationship, a marriage is not built from a distance. It's built face to face and life to life, hand to hand, eye to eye. As you walk through life together, as you go through the struggles of life together, as you conquer in those struggles together, that's what builds a lasting marriage and relationship. But there's something else that he speaks of here. And that's the husband loving his wife so much that he also spends the time with her that she would be immersed in the Word of God. And I thought last night, as it dawned on me, well, John, you've been immersed in the Word and you've done fine with that, but you haven't exactly spent the time with your wife in the Word. I will tell you, there's an important part of building a good marriage where you do it by putting God first in your lives and with the two of you together. So it's not like you just worship within the same household separately from each other but you worship God together within the same household through the word through praise and worship through prayer and if you're not doing that then your wife is losing out and so are you so the third immersion that we find in the Brit Hadashah immersion in the word Number four, immersion by trial or by fire. In Mark 10, 37 through 39, <coughs> we read of um, John and James, the sons of thunder, um, speaking to Yeshua and saying, let us sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. Wow, that's kind of cheeky. We're so special, we want to be the ones that sit on your right and on your left when you come into your glory. But Yeshua answered them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or endure the immersion I must endure? The immersion he must endure. They said to him, we are able and Yeshua said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will endure the immersion I must endure. Yeshua says in another place, Luke 12, 50, but I have an immersion to endure and how distressed I am until it is finished. You see, this is an immersion that's unpleasant. This is an immersion that's painful. This is an immersion that's difficult. This is not an immersion that any of us chooses. It is an immersion that we must endure, though, if we're truly going to walk with Yeshua. Because all those who would be in Yeshua will see persecution. It's a normal part of life for the man or woman or the child that would walk with God that they will see persecution in this life. It's unfortunate that so many of us in the United States have forgotten that. 
And I really think it's part of the reason why the faith of so many of us has grown cold. Because we're waiting for things to be easy and for things to be great so that we can celebrate and just have a good old life. But that isn't life here on this planet. We're here for a mission. We're here for a purpose. And that purpose is to make disciples. That purpose is to stand against the evil that engulfs this world. This purpose is to fight against the enemy before his very gates. And we do that by claiming this world one piece at a time in the name of Yeshua for our God and of our Messiah. You remember in Revelation we read that the day is going to come when all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and our Messiah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah! This is what it's all about and this is what we've been called to and every one of us has a part to play in making that happen. Are we really willing to make it happen? And if we are willing to make it happen, are we equipped to do this kind of battle? If we're not equipped, don't pretend you're going to be able to do it. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the full armor of God. Well, put on the armor of God. But also ask to be filled with the Ruach of God. Now, this is looked at in a couple of ways by the commentators. Some commentators say that this immersion was Yeshua coming into a full identification with sinful humanity. Preparing to take all of the sins of humanity on Himself that in Him bearing those sins with the faith of those of humanity who put their trust in Him that they will be forgiven, that they become the righteousness of God in Messiah because Messiah has literally taken upon Himself their sins so that no longer are those sins reputed against their name. Wow, very wonderful. Very wonderful. What an act that Yeshua did for us. But I question whether that's all there is to it. I'm sure that that is part of what's there. But there's something more to it here. Because we find out from Yeshua that this is an immersion that indeed John and James will also endure. It's a cup they too will drink. It's not just Yeshua's cup. So it's not just about Yeshua doing the actions necessary that we can have salvation. There's something more to it. <coughs> that also speaks about that also speaks about what we're called to do. I want you to get that. When we read about this immersion that Yeshua had to endure and that John and James, Yochanan and Yaakov would endure also, then we're talking about something that's for us as well and that we need to know it. So this immersion of fire, this immersion by trial, <clears throat> why would we undergo it? 
What would be the purpose? Turn with me to Colossians 1, 24 through 26. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you and in my physical body for the sake of his body, Messiah's community. You remember what we read about Messiah and his community that he laid down his life for his community to make her holy by the washing of the word, by immersion in the word. So he so Paul says that he rejoices in his sufferings for you, the people that he's speaking to. And in my physical body, for the sake of his body, Yeshua's body, Messiah's body, which is the congregation, I fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Messiah. Come again. Is Paul saying that there's something that is lacking? In the work of Yeshua, that Yeshua's work wasn't finished? No, that is not what he's saying. But he is saying that as we are part of the body of Messiah, we too suffer on behalf of Messiah and on behalf of a a fallen and sinful humanity who needs to see with each new generation that indeed Yeshua cares about them, that God loves them, that God gave himself for them, that God put on human flesh the sukkah of the flesh. He hung on that Roman instrument of torture and he died taking the sins of all mankind upon himself when he was stretched out on that stake. And each generation needs to see anew that loving God who was willing to put on human flesh to debase himself, to even suffer mockery, that he could live amongst us and teach us his ways and show us that he loves us, that He has turned us back towards Him. Even as He did with the people in Elijah's day. So it's not that Paul is saying that there was anything lacking in the afflictions of Messiah. Messiah did everything He needed to do. Everything He had to do. It was a finished work. However, for each new generation, there is a new generation that needs to see that work that was done on their behalf. And the way they see it is through the body of Messiah being willing to suffer and even die for that new generation in the name of Yeshua. And this is what Yeshua was saying John and James would face. You're walking with me, indeed you will drink this cup, and indeed you will endure this immersion, this immersion of suffering, this immersion of fire, this immersion of pain, this immersion of giving up everything that you hold dear in this physical world. 
that you may truly be Yeshua's answer to the generation that you're born into. You see, each one of you has a purpose. And that purpose is to be the direct representative of a holy God to a planet that is filled with darkness and that desperately needs to know Him. A world full of people that are lost in all kinds of sins. And they've been so long lost and their consciences so scarred that in some cases they don't even realize that what they're doing is sin anymore. They have convinced themselves that it isn't. It's just the way they are. How sad. And so he fills up in his body what is lacking in the afflictions of Messiah. And he said, I became its servant according to God's commission. Given to me for you in order to declare his message in full, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his Kedoshim, his holy ones. So immersion number four. And finally, immersion number five, and this is the heart of the message, so I want you to hear well. Because even as those two people said, teach us how to make disciples. You talk about it a lot, but how do you do it? Well, I'm telling you. And I'm telling you from personal experience, what I have found in my own life was absolutely necessary before I could be effective at making disciples. And so... The first thing that was absolutely necessary was relationships. We had to be relational. We had to be willing to step out of our comfort zone and go to people that maybe we don't know. Maybe we do know we don't like them. Maybe we don't like the way they smell, the way they act, the way they look, the way they speak, or anything else. But yet, if we're going to obey our Lord and Savior, our Master, if we're truly going to say we believe in Yeshua, that we are His disciple, then we will absolutely do what He has told us to do, which is to go and make disciples. And not based on whether we like a person or not, or they're dressed as we think they are, or they smell good. But because God has called us to them, and we wish to give them just as Yeshua gave to us. Yeshua freely gave to us. He tells us to freely give to the others. Are we ready to do that? Are we ready to freely give? Immersion in the Ruach HaKodesh. This is the fifth and finally, immersion that we're going to cover. Immersion in the Ruach HaKodesh. It is absolutely critical if you wish to make disciples. So you had to be relational. You had to build relationship. But you've got to be filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. 
And I don't mean just filled a little bit. I mean filled to overflowing. Rivers of living water gushing forth from our innermost beings. Look at Acts 8, 14 through 16 again. But I'm going to add a verse to it. We're going to look at verse 17 also. Now when the emissaries in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the message of God, they sent Peter and John to them. They came down and prayed for them to receive the Ruach HaKodesh, for he had not yet come upon them. They had only been immersed in the name of the Lord Yeshua. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Ruach HaKodesh. There's a point to where the laying on of hands can become a critical part of that exchange from God to a human soul to receive the fullness of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And if we're not willing to be filled with the Spirit, if we're not willing for God to take our lives in that way, then we're crippling ourselves for the battles that God has called us to face, and we're crippling ourselves to be of any use to the people that God has called us to. Verse 13, just before that that we read, also shows us that the immersion in the Ruach comes with power and signs and wonders. Well, I'm going to tell you a story about this in a minute because this is so important. I cannot overstate this. That the power of the Ruach was given to us specifically for the mission that God has given us to make disciples. Without the Ruach, you will not be able to make disciples. You won't be empowered for it, for one thing. You won't have the boldness for it, for another thing. You will not have the concern for your fellow human beings for a third thing. When you're truly filled with the Ruach of God then you're changed. Look at Acts 4, 27 through 31. Now Peter and John, they just healed a man. They were called before the Sanhedrin. They were beaten. They were threatened with death. And they've come away from the Sanhedrin now. They were finally released. And so here they are, back with the community the holy ones of God, the followers of Yeshua. We read this. It's a prayer that is being prayed. And Peter is saying here, for truly both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, were gathered together in this city against your holy servant Yeshua, whom you anointed. They did whatever your hand and your purpose predetermined to happen. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant your servants to speak 
your word with utmost courage. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Yeshua. You, you see, he understood, Peter understood, without the signs and wonders, the people would not come to Yeshua. That there was a place for those signs and wonders. That it was necessary that the signs and wonders occur. And I'll tell you, I've seen that all over the world in my own life. And by my own eyes, that when people see the signs and wonders of God, it awakens something in them. Adonai, he is God. Adonai, he is God. Adonai, he is God. When they had prayed, hear this. Hear this, when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and began to speak the word of God with boldness, not with timidity, not quietly, not as if they were still in hiding, afraid of what might happen, but with boldness. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit truly fills a person full. Is that person cannot help themselves. They're going to find somebody to tell about Yeshua and what he did for them. Another example from Scripture, Acts 19, 1 through 7. Acts 19, 1 through 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul traveled through the upper region and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and said to them, Did you receive the Ruach HaKodesh when you believed? They replied to him, No, we've never even heard that there is a Ruach HaKodesh. Boy, it sounds like a good deal of the church in the United States to me. They replied to him, No, we've never even heard that there is a Ruach HaKodesh. He said then, into what were you immersed? They said, into Yohanan's immersion, John's immersion, an immersion of, of repentance. <clears throat> Paul said, John immersed with an immersion of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Yeshua. When they heard this, they were immersed in the name of the Lord Yeshua. And when Paul laid hands on them, you see, once again, the laying on of hands being used as a conduit by God, pouring himself through the person who has already received the Holy Spirit, that the others could receive the Holy Spirit also. And the power and the boldness and the absolute certainty of God's word and desire to follow that word that comes from being filled with the Ruach of God. So John immersed with an immersion of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one coming after him. That is in Yeshua. When they heard them this, they were immersed in the name of the Lord Yeshua. And when Paul laid hands upon them, the Ruach HaKodesh came upon them, 
and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Oh my goodness, what is it that Moses said? I would that all of God's people would prophesy. What is it that the prophet Joel said? In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. With signs and wonders. You see, that's what happens when the Ruach is poured out on someone. I was in India with um, Jonathan Burness and um, Jewish Voice Ministries. I guess this was probably about 20 years ago now. And um, we had already been through the first night of, of ministry, and oh my gosh, <laughs> wow, wow, it, it was really something. And I was listening, there was a, a table of people from another another congregational flow who was sitting behind us at breakfast the next morning. And I was listening to the individual who it seemed to me was in charge of the group. Everyone treated him with a good deal of deference anyways. And he was complaining about the people of India that they will not respond to the message unless they see miracles first. I remember thinking to myself, then be filled with the Spirit and give them a miracle. If that's what will get them to see and to hear your message, then do it. After all, it's exactly the reason why God gave the Spirit. He didn't give the Holy Spirit just so that we would be saved. He didn't give the Holy Spirit just so that we would know the way to go. He also gave the Holy Spirit that we could do the mission that he's called us to. You see, too often we look at the things that God gives us, the gifts that God gives us as being for us. No, they're not. The things that God gives us and the gifts that he gives us are for the people that he is sending us to. Why are we so darn selfish? We're so focused on ourselves and what we want and that it's me, me, me that God has called me to do this, that I am God's servant. It's all about me, I. What about the others? That's what God is asking and that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. It's why he died for us. That we could go forth in his name even as he freely gave to us that we can freely give to others. So I want you to, to wind back about 24 hours before this con conversation is taking place that I'm listening to. And I'll tell you, if I named the church, every one of you would know what it is. It's very prominent. It's a very prominent church. And this pastor or this leader of this missions group was bemoaning the fact that the Indian people if they didn't see the bona fides of God in a person's life then they weren't going to respond to what that person was saying 
It didn't matter how sweet their words or how wonderful their oratory. If they couldn't demonstrate the power of God in their lives, then what's the point anyways? I'm thinking, well, pastor, whoever you are, then do what the Bible says you should do. Be filled with the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders following. I mean, if you're really telling the truth that that's what's needed, and I I agree with him. I agree with him on the point he was making. I disagree with him in, in being so prideful that he didn't think he needed to do what God has called him to which is to be filled with the Spirit, not just touched with the Spirit, not just having the Spirit in you because you've received Yeshua, but being filled with the Spirit that you can do the work of God in a world that's full of need. And so we've gone back several hours now, and we're at this field. It's just a big open field. It's a field that's big enough it could easily hold 15,000 people. Now, it'd be a little bit crowded, but listen, it could. We put hay down on the field, hay down on the field. We were expecting 10 to 15,000 every night. That first night, we were rather disappointed. There were only about 3,000 people there. We were wondering, well, why is this? We found out. Jonathan began preaching about the name of Yeshua and how people would be healed at the name of Yeshua. And all of a sudden, from the middle of the crowd, this woman stands up and she starts shrieking, you said that Yeshua would heal my daughter. You said Jesus would heal my daughter. Heal my daughter. Heal my daughter. She comes running forward. She comes up on the stage. She's actually poking her finger in Jonathan's chest telling him that he had just told her that Yeshua would heal her daughter, so do it. And so everyone gathers around. We begin praying for the child. Now, great man of faith that I am, I had to keep an eye cocked open just to watch what was happening. Because I wanted to see the stuff that happens when the Holy Spirit is present. And I knew the Spirit was present, so I was expectant that there was going to be stuff that happened. Indeed, stuff did happen. This little girl was profoundly deaf. She could not hear anything. Her ears didn't even pick up vibrations. She had had such a terrible ear infection at one point that it had not only destroyed her eardrum, it had destroyed her inner ear. And she couldn't hear anything. Not a thing. You could clap two boards behind her head. And that child wouldn't wince or jump or anything because she couldn't hear it. She was absolutely stone-cold deaf. We started praying for her. And here this little girl is, rather dark-skinned, surrounded by all these light-skinned people who she doesn't know. And in India, a dark-skinned Indian is oftentimes picked on by lighter-skinned Indians. Terrible. Terrible. 
the way we persecute people based on the color of their skin, hmm, don't know what to make about it. It's a sin. It's evil. But it happens. So here this girl is, she's surrounded by all of us, and we're praying for her. And um, I'm looking at the child, and she looks terrified at first. And then all of a sudden, something happened at a certain point. I'm fairly sure that Jonathan had said, in the name of Yeshua, be healed. May your ears work as God made them to, or something to that effect. All of a sudden, this child began to wail. I mean, she was crying out loud. I was still watching, though. And then all of a sudden, within about five seconds, as quickly as the crying had started, it stopped, and I saw this child looking from mouth to mouth to mouth to mouth to mouth as she was watching us pray, and I understood at that time that this child was hearing sounds for the first time since that ear infection had taken her hearing from us. She was hearing. The mother saw it at the same time. She was bouncing all over the stage. Jesus healed my daughter. Jesus healed my daughter. Jesus healed my daughter. The crowd went berserk. All 3,000 or so people. We never had less than 10,000 for the rest of the time that we were ministry in India because the people had seen the work of God they had had the touch of the Holy Spirit and they wanted more and nothing was going to stop them from getting it they had seen it they had experienced it God became real to them Let me just close by saying that if you wish to have the power of God work in your life so that you can truly be obedient to Him and make disciples, then you need to be filled. And I don't just mean touched by, I mean filled by the Holy Spirit. Now in Scripture we find many, many times that this filling comes at the laying on of hands. And so I would tell you, go to your pastor, go to your elders, go to your messianic rabbi, go to your shepherd, have them lay hands on you and pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit that you would be filled with the power of God to do the work that God has called you to do. And at the end of this series, we're going to pray for people all over this congregation who wish to see this power of God working in them that they could also go forth to a world in need with signs and wonders following and see miracles happening in their lives as people come to the knowledge of the Holy One. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your love and grace, and we thank You for this Word that You give us. This Word that You give us that we can learn Your ways and know what it is that You expect from us and what You intend for us to do. We thank You that indeed You were relational with us and 
and you were willing to have relationship with us. And you gave your life that our relationship to you could be restored, a relationship that had been lost because of sin. Hallelujah. We also thank you that you have given us a calling, a purpose. And part of that purpose is to make disciples, every one of us. Make disciples, make disciples. Help us to make disciples, Lord, even as you've called us to. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and power, Lord. Even as rivers of living water gushing forth from our innermost beings, fill us, Lord. Fill us, fill us, fill us. Make us to be the kind of people we need to be to truly reach out to a world in need. And then to make disciples. That there would be still others within the community serving with us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your, your Ruach by which we know the way to go, by which we receive wisdom, but by which we receive power. Power with signs and wonders following to make disciples. To be broken free from our fears, from our inhibitions, against doing the work of God, to actually do the work of God. Beshem Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Yeshua, Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah. Amen.